Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, you've got two sets of scripture by the same author. We're willing to be looking at two passages out of the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to your table of contents and locate the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And once you have located that, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to turn over a couple pages to Matthew chapter 28, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 15. This morning I'm going to begin starting a, a, um, a group of sermons with regards to how to deal with dilemmas. Um, I read an article while I was uh, on my honeymoon with regards to the position that the Jewish leaders were in as a direct result of Jesus' resurrection. And it got me thinking about the types of problems that Jesus' resurrection caused and who experienced those problems and why. And as I was studying over that over the past couple of weeks, I began to see um, different uh, storylines um, that uh, people experienced um, drastic and uh, controversial um, subject matter um, that dealt with um, around the idea of the dilemmas that they were facing in their life. Um, and it got me thinking more about how those dilemmas that took place uh, after Jesus' resurrection, um, how they often parallel into our own daily life um, and our pursuit and journey uh, with Jesus. Um, so this morning we're going to look at uh, um, the dilemmas of the resurrection. And this morning I want to look at the religious elect quandary. Um, and I'll go into that here in a moment. But Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders, the people, assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Gephias. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Now if we look over to Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, we're going to see the aftermath of this uh, story. It says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if the report gets back to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep him or keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So the Lord gave me a word that surmises the cause and the effect of the implications of the resurrection narrative, the resurrection story. And the Lord showed me that Jesus' resurrection created great anxiety 
that caused dilemmas across the board in both cultural and religious circles. Dilemma. According to Noah Webster, the word dilemma is a highly anxious situation created by a difficult choice between two or more alternatives, especially equally undesirable ones because of poor planning and lack of preparedness. Have you ever faced a dilemma in your life before? Well, there's a couple things that we need to know about dilemmas and, and, and how they occur, but um, most often how they work in our life. First, dilemmas occur when you don't plan well. Second, dilemmas occur in the most inopportune time. And third, dilemmas occur when righteousness tries to redirect us in our life. In the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus, people are faced with life-altering dilemmas that they find themselves in. And, and while the answer for those anxieties is embodied in Pentecost, much of the dilemmas people faced are things that we are challenged to deal with in our own walk with Christ. So we're going to explore over the next few weeks some of the dilemmas that certain people are faced with and how we can learn from them as Christians as Pentecost draws near. Our text this morning comes from two different chapters from the same book of Matthew, and they speak to the undercurrent of the resurrection narrative. The religious elect, they have a dilemma on their hands, but to understand this crisis, we need to understand what prompted them to be in the position in the first place. I mean, who are these religious elect? Well, there's several characters in the text. We have Ananias, the former high priest, who is now the chief priest. We have Cephas, who is the high priest, and he's also the son-in-law of Ananias, who's the chief priest. And we've got some of the soldiers that are guarding the tomb of Jesus, and we have the elders of the Sanhedrin, and those are the ones that interpret the law. So Ananias and Cephas and the elders... They're all elected, and they are all Sadducean. Now, why is that important? Well, in the Sanhedrin, you have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and you have the scribes. Now, obviously, the scribes, you know what their main duty is, their main job is. They're educated so that they can write things down. But then you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, there's something that's different about them. And the Pharisees are more your pastor types. They're more out in the community. They're out working in the community. Um, some of them are bivocational. Um, but the Sadducees, they're more educated and they're more concerned about uh, the keeping of the law and the instruction of the law. Um, so the, and, and also those that are involved in that arena are the highest paid and most respected positions in the Judaic faith. Another factor to be mindful of is that the ones that I've mentioned that are in this story, they are all Sadducees. Now, here's something kind of interesting. You know, Sadducees, they don't believe in a physical resurrection. They don't believe in miracles or even the work of the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, the positions that they hold, they hold ultimate authority in keeping and judging from the law. Now, when we look at the reasoning behind why Jesus was crucified, most people have a tendency to think it's because that Jesus was a threat to uh, their authority. And that might be the case, but 
that wasn't the reasoning for crucifying Jesus. The reason that they wanted to crucify Jesus and get rid of him was all about money. Jesus' followers were hitting the temple where it hurt most, their wallet. That's their problem with Jesus. Are you with me? So how do you go about rectifying the problem that you have? Well, Matthew chapter 26 verses 1 through 5 is really the perfect example of what collusion looks like. Where's Robert Mueller when you need him, right? Here you have the Sadducee and the elect who make a living from a percentage that's generated from the uh, temple courts and who use the law to their benefit by interpreting it to push their agenda. Uh, sound familiar? The irony of this is that the very law that they so proudly defend is the very thing that they broke, the ninth commandment, in order to get Jesus. The ninth commandment is about bearing false witness, and, and that's what they had to do in order to get Jesus. So the Sadducean elders, Ananias the chief priest, and Caiaphas the high priest, they get together and collude a divisive plan to rid themselves of this man they call Jesus. And together, they take a statement of Jesus, and they take a statement out of context and insinuate that Jesus is planning to lead a violent revolt against the Roman Empire by destroying the temple and make that case before Herod in order to prompt him to arrest Jesus. What was that statement? Do you remember when Jesus was in the temple and, and he was teaching, and, and the Sadducees, they, the priests, they were listening. They were, you know, eavesdropping over what he was teaching. Um, and, and, and there was a part in his teaching where Jesus said that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now, we know the real context of Jesus' statement and, and that Jesus was talking about the body, uh, his body being the temple. All went according to plan, though, for the Sadducean elect. They were probably giving high fives and fist bumps because they got him in some words, words that they could pull out that, yes, he said, but they were taken out of the context and they could use that before Herod because Herod was just uh, uh, nervous. He had a lot of anxiety, especially around Passover because he's always worried about an uprising and then the Romans have to remove him from power. So anything like this, the, the, the Sadducean elect could feed him and that would prompt him and he would act. And I'm sure that when he acted and, and said, go ahead and arrest Jesus, they were uh, high-fiving, giving fist bumps, and, and, and uh, uh, enjoying that moment. And even over those three days, all up until that Easter Sunday morning, when the soldiers that were guarding the tomb came knocking at their door. Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Man, what I would give to be a fly on the wall of old Caiaphas or Ananias' house that day. This report coming to them that Jesus' body is gone. <laughs> this report probably sent them into a frenzy. Talk, talk about a special called business meeting. They were in a quandary. They had a dilemma on their hands. As my grandfather, Dorsey Dalton, would say, they were in a pickle. But does that happen today? Sure it does. We may not know it as 
a person bearing false witness against someone, but it goes by other names in our culture like backbiting, conniving, gossip. Our students say throwing shade or lying. All of it is still giving false testimony. And here's some takeaways that we can learn from. The dilemma of giving false testimony is that it leads to, number one, it destroys your character. I believe that the most ruthless sin of all is when someone insinuates or someone lies or gossips about someone else. The hardest thing for me to swallow is the fact that th these religious elects who, who are so passionate about adding to the law, interpreting the law, uh, purposely and knowingly plan to commit the vilest sin of all by breaking the ninth commandment. Well, pastor, everyone sins. I always heard growing up, sin I will, sin I must. If I don't sin, I'll surely bust. You know, it, it's true that we've all sinned, but there's a difference between the sin of omission and the sin with mission. Sin of omission is sin that's committed, that we don't know that it's sin or it's something that's not realized. But sin with mission is when you do it on purpose. You know, good people sometimes do terrible things. People commit murder who don't have a vengeful bone in their body. Some people will steal out of desperation and curse out of anger. These sins don't quite speak to one's character, but giving false testimony does. If I find out that a person has started a rumor about someone or has lied about someone or made up a story to cover themselves or to make themselves look better, that tells me all I need to know about that person. Well, pastor, you're not supposed to judge. <laughs> you're right. I'm not judging, but I am called to be a fruit inspector because Jesus said you will know them by the fruits that they bear. See, that type of sin doesn't occur because of omission. That kind of sin of, of creating a story or gossiping, that type of sin um, doesn't happen because you don't realize it's wrong. See, that kind of sin is planned out. It's deliberate. It's intended to assassinate someone's character for, by the means of someone else's benefit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 12, it says, When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan... See, they knew what Jesus had actually said. They knew that Jesus was a man of peace. They knew that Jesus was a man of nonviolent protest. They, they knew what Jesus had taught, that your body is the temple of the Lord. They knew that Jesus had said that he would resurrect from the dead. And, and now these soldiers come to them reporting that Jesus did exactly what he said he'd do. Remember what I said about dilemmas at the beginning? That first, dilemmas occur when you don't plan well. <laughs> Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. So they are, are already predisposed. Excuse me, I still can't say that word today. They, they are already predispositioned in, into believing that, that resurrection is impossible. So not believing uh, in Jesus' claim before um, is, is really not on their radar. Um, and, and, and even though Jesus says that, it, it really uh, never um, is something that they uh, expect to happen. And, and, and what this teaches us is that for those people that start a rumor or gossip, and even those who are part of it, 
they don't plan that their words or their story or their insinuations will ever come back on them. And when it does come back on you, and it will, your character, your image in the community and in the church, it'll suffer. You'll be labeled. You'll lose friends from it. You'll lose respect. Your character uh, will be flawed. And it can take years to recover from that. The revelation of Jesus' resurrection, it also came at an inopportune time. Uh, these guys have been celebrating over the Passover for their win for Jesus' crucifixion. They, they probably had a tailgating party. We won, we won. And after a night of partying earlier on that Easter morning, a knock at their door awakened them from their slumber. And I'll say this, it probably sobered them up real quick. It's a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality when it is realized that this type of sin really speaks to one's character. The dilemma of giving false testimony is that it, it not only uh, leads to destroying your character, but number two, it, it also leads to an attempt to cover up. I mean, like, what are they going to do? Um, they are in dilemma mode. Now, some people say they're in crisis. No, crisis, a crisis happens when there's something that's totally out of your control. When life hits, life happens, a car accident happens, and someone dies. Um, when the uh, plant shuts down and it's all of a sudden there is no warning whatsoever, that is what a crisis is. A dilemma is much different. See, the thing is, is these guys have already broken the commandment of bearing false witness against not just anyone, but they did it against the Son of God, Jesus. They already colluded together and already concocted a false story and already fed it to King Herod. They've already got the message out to the people, and Jesus was arrested, indicted, convicted, judged, and executed by crucifixion and buried, and now Jesus' body was G-O-N-E, gone. Let me tell you something. When the word gets out, that you started a rumor or that you're party to a gossip about someone and it gets uh, back to you, and trust me, it always will come back to you, it's a sobering reality. Your anxiety will increase. Your stress level gets heightened. You'll worry yourself to death. And you know what? You deserve it. Amen. Why? Because the righteousness of God is giving you an opportunity to redirect your actions. It's called being convicted of your sin. And therein God provides an opportunity for you to confess your sin and repent for what you've done. But did the religious elect do that? Nope. Nope. They did what the sinful nature desired and, the, and they attempted to cover it up. They called a committee meeting. They need to get everybody on the same page, make sure all of our stories are straight. Oh yeah. Matthew chapter 28, verses 12 and 13, And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say his disciples came in the night and stole his body away while we were asleep. If this report gets back to the government, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. I just want you to think about that for a moment. The whole reason that the religious elect sought to rid themselves of Jesus was because of money. Yet, they paid off Judas, they paid off Herod, and now they're paying off some of the soldiers, not all, 
and even provided a cover story for them. When you lie about someone, gossip about someone, insinuate, lie, and concoct a story about someone, you are going to pay for it. Because the moment that the person realizes that someone else has lied about them or concocted a story about them, you know, in this life, who knows how they're going to respond or react towards those that are guilty of creating the story. The religious elect, they had an opportunity to come clean, but they chose to lie and lie again. Often what happens when you concoct a story about someone, then you lie to cover up that lie. And then you have to lie to cover up another lie and lie and lie and lie. And it gets bigger and bigger and it builds and builds and builds. And then you've got this whole mess on your hands simply because when the opportunity for a righteous decision came forth, you said, no, I don't want to take the blame for it. And, and most often, that's what liars and gossips do. They lie and create stories to cover themselves from the victim. And what happens most, especially when it's a group of people that has concocted a story or those that have been uh, gossiping, once that person is called out on it, and they will be called out on it, they'll throw shade on other people or involved, that are involved in the storytelling. In other words, they turn on each other. They'll class, cast blame. I didn't say that. So-and-so said it. I just heard it, right? <laughs> That's never happened before, has it? Instead of coming clean and repenting and asking the person that they concocted a story about, asking for forgiveness and asking God to forgive them, they'll throw the other people under the bus or involve anyone that's connected to them. You know, when I was growing up, I learned a song, and it went like this. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. You know, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Folks, you better be careful of what you say and who you say it to, and how you say it. And even through, though, uh, even through the soldiers, even though the soldiers took hush money, the resurrection of Jesus was proven because Jesus kept showing up over the next 40 days. In fact, the chief priest, Caiaphas, when Stephen was being stoned, the chief priest there, Caiaphas, was there when Stephen was getting stoned. And what happened? Stephen looks up into heaven and... Everyone around was able to see the Son of Man standing. And there, in that moment, the words when Caiaphas originally had interrogated Jesus, in that moment, Jesus had told him, even you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And in the moment that Stephen was being tormented and stoned to death, the whole cloud of witnesses, including Stephen, were able to see Jesus standing by the side. Wow. See, the gospel story spread wider and farther than the little sector of the world in Jerusalem that the religious elect thought that they could contain him to. Church, we can eliminate much of the dilemmas that come our way by simply engaging in a deeper relationship with Christ, by understanding that our words have power. We have the power to encourage, and we have the power to discourage. We can build one another up, 
or we can tear one another down. Now, most often, folks aren't going to tear people down face to face. No, they'll do it behind their back. And if you're guilty of that, if that's something that you're known for or something that you practice, I believe that's the vilest sin. I believe that's the worst thing that a person can do to another person. I'll leave you with this. We can do better. We can live life in freedom and liberty. And it's all something that grace affords us because we are in Christ. We are new creatures. The Bible says that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But it's up to us to engage in that lifestyle. It's up to us to make righteous decisions. It's up to us to choose whether we're going to live life in a selfish way or we're going to live a life that breathes life into other people. You are the Jesus that people see. Let us pray.